Hello, you're listening to the Fuck a Diet podcast, and I'm Caroline. And I'm here, and I'm losing it. I mean, I, I hit an, another level, another wall, another level of like, I can't keep going on like this. I can't. As long as this pandemic and shutdown goes on, I'm going to just be like, I, I, I don't understand how to be calm. And the thing that I... And it's not that I'm not calm. I just feel this like kind of mild, at least mild dread all of the time. Um, and whenever I'm like, why do I feel like not great? I'm like, oh, because this thing has been going on for almost a year and there's no end in sight. Sorry, there's no end in sight. I know that the vaccine rollout is supposed to be an end in sight, but it doesn't feel like an end in sight, to be perfectly honest. Um, so... <laughs> And, you know, I am someone who loves being home and loves doing all of the things that we're meant and encouraged to do during the pandemic. But even I am losing it. Like it's, it is too much and it's too much to be forced on you. It's great when it's a choice, but when you really genuinely can't go anywhere and aren't encouraged to see anyone or do anything, it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. And I have it pretty good compared to other people. Um, so if you're struggling, um, I, I just want to validate your experience, let you know that you're not alone. I don't think there's any way to, to feel normal right now. I just don't think that there is. I mean, maybe I'm wrong and maybe you feel normal, but I don't feel normal and I don't feel good. (laughs) And uh, I'm not happy about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, like all the self-care in the world can't change the fact that we have no idea when this is going to end and it could potentially take up two solid years of our lives. And I don't like it. That's all I have to say. I don't like it. Okay, what are we doing in today's episode? In today's episode, I am chatting with Alyssa Rumsey. She's a registered dietitian, she's an intuitive eating counselor, and she wrote a book called Unapologetic Eating, and it's coming out February 9th. So we're going to talk about her journey to intuitive eating, we're going to talk about the ripple effects of intuitive eating, and we're also going to talk about her book. And I read her book ahead of time, and I blurbed the book, and when you blurb a book, it means that you wrote a little blurb that goes on the cover and goes like in the marketing material. Um... And so that is the conversation that I'm going to be sharing with you soon. But before then, I wanted to take just a little bit of time to go through my email and read two listener stories. Remember those? Remember listener stories? I like to read listener, quote unquote, success stories. People who've been doing this for at least six months to a year, if not longer, to essentially give hope (laughs) And a little bit of calm in this very uh, tumultuous world we're living in to the people who are starting out on their fuck a diet journey who feel unmoored and who feel nervous that it's never going to change and it's never going to get easier. Um, If you have a story like this that you think would be helpful to other people who are listening to this podcast, you can send it to, what is the email address? Podcast at carolineduner.com. So this one was sent to me in November around Thanksgiving 
and I haven't read it and I'm going to read it now. Caroline, happy Thanksgiving. I was recently reviewing my 2020 book list and I realized that yours was the only one that was read, that was on my read list, not once, but twice. 2020 will always be known as the year of the COVID-19 pandemic. I wish it would end. I didn't, uh, she didn't say that. I said that. Um, but for me, it will also be the year that I finally found peace with food and my body after a decades long battle against them both. That is all thanks to you and your work. I've been working through the Fuck It Diet since discovering your podcast about a year ago. I read your book as soon as it came out, which coincided with the lockdown. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. How is that possible? Sorry, I clearly didn't read this whole thing. <laughs> My book came out March 2019 and the lockdown started March 2020. So I don't really understand, but whatever. We'll just take it as it is. Okay, so I read your book as soon as it came out which coincided with the lockdown and me working from home with an overstocked kitchen. I don't get that. Okay. The book gave me tangible tools to navigate and feel through it all. No matter how many times my old diet brain tried to convince me that what I was doing was wrong. The process has never been linear, which is endlessly frustrating to my perfectionist self, but it has always been worth it. Finding freedom from diet culture has given me the space to explore cooking, baking, intuitive movement, and writing. This Thanksgiving, my husband and I were on our own for the first time ever, but because of the fuck a diet, I was unafraid. Together, we made a feast for two and enjoyed every single bite. Guilt was not on the menu. I want you to know that none of this would have been possible without you and your work. Thank you for everything, Sam. Thank you for sending that in, Sam, even though I think... I think the confusion must be that you thought you got it when it came out, but it actually had been out for a year, which is totally fine. But I just was confused as I was reading it. And now you know that I skim emails and don't always read them all the way through before reading them on the podcast. Now you know. Now you know everything. Okay. Um, great. So I'm going to read another one. Just one more. Actually, I'm going to just so I know that I've read it. Okay. Whew. Okay. Here's the other one. Hi, Caroline. First of all, thank you. I read your book in 2019 after an intense couple of years dieting and cardio. For these years, I was convinced, I was convincing myself that this was healthy and that losing weight was the best thing for my body. I'd convinced myself that the diet wasn't a diet at all, just a healthier way of living. While I was losing weight and people were complimenting me on it, I was very unhappy. I was, monitor I was monitoring everything that went in my mouth and if it wasn't healthy, I was burning it off on the treadmill the next day and she put healthy in quotes, girl after my own heart, with extra cardio on top for good measure. But I didn't even like running. And then I read your book and everything fell into place. I began refeeding my body without question, diving into every craving thrown my way, and then I discovered that I hated cardio just as much as I hated restrictive eating, and I began exploring other forms of exercise. I fell totally head over heels in love with weightlifting. I've always been a thicker girl, and I was amazed at how quickly my strength built up. Even though my dad has been bleeding at me for years how our short quote-unquote short and fat jeans is an advantage for strength training, he used to lift seriously heavy weight, weights when he was my age. It was a miracle. Your book, alongside this new love for exercise, lifted away all the diet culture bullshit, and I can safely say I am at least 99% down my journey. By eating what my body wants, I'm, I'm recovering better, 
from lifting, sleeping better, and lifting harder without guilt, regret, or shame. My thick thighs and calves are no longer a burden, but a fucking blessing. I can deadlift more than my own body weight and not on a diet or strict regime. Isn't that insane? Sarcasm. I've never been more in love with my body. It amazes me every day. And after overcoming coronavirus recently, I'm even more humbled by its power, even more dedicated to caring for it. Keep on fighting the good fight. All the best. Can't wait for the new book, Leanne. I love it. I did read that one all the way through, but just before I started recording. Um, I love hearing success stories. Not all of them are right to read on the podcast, but I still love them anyway. So please send them to podcast at carolineduner.com and maybe I'll read them on a future episode of the Fuck a Diet podcast. I was going to say radio because it used to be called the Fuck a Diet radio. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm about to share my conversation with Alyssa with you. However, first I'm going to share a word from this podcast episode's sponsor. It sucks having to deal with the bloating, gas, discomfort, and pooping problems that IBS brings. But if you've ever tried to follow the diet recommended for IBS, not fun. The low FODMAP diet might help alleviate some symptoms, but it's not actually getting to the root cause of why you have IBS in the first place. In FODMAP Freedom in 90 Days, Dr. Deneza teaches you how to finally get to the root cause of your IBS. Whether you're stuck on the low FODMAP diet or you're trying to avoid having to use it, FODMAP Freedom will give you the roadmap and support you need to get well. Dr. Deneza has helped hundreds of people with IBS and SIBO cure those conditions, balance their guts, and enjoy a less restrictive diet. Follow Dr. Deneza on Instagram at Triangle Guts to learn more about FODMAP Freedom and join her upcoming free workshop, Three Sneaky Things Holding You Back from IBS Success. Hi, so I'm Alyssa Rumsey, and I am a registered dietitian, a nutrition therapist, and a certified intuitive eating counselor. And I have a weight-inclusive private practice where I work with people who want to divest from, from diet culture and really get back into their bodies and have a more peaceful and joyful relationship both with food and with their body. I'm so excited to talk today about your book that's coming out in, what is it, like two weeks at this point? Yes, yes. February 9th, it comes out, Unapologetic Eating. And I got to read an early copy of the book and I blurred the book and it's so good. So I'm really, really excited to talk about the book today. And I also, before we get into the book, I want to talk a little bit about how you got into the work that you do. How did you start working with, you know, the anti-diet approach and intuitive eating? Is it something that you always knew you were interested in or did you find it later on um, after school? Uh, Such a good question. I definitely did not always know. Um, I, so I've been a dietitian for over 12 years and I got my first interest in nutrition actually, you know, unsurprisingly, I think came from a, a disordered place. So I was (laughs) so many of us. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was in high school and I went through puberty and, you know, gained weight, which I now know is very, very normal. And, you know, most women will gain, gain anywhere from like 40 to 50 pounds during their high school years naturally. And like 
you know, the body's doing what it's supposed to do. But I wish that statistic, I was like, every teenage girl just needs to know that this is not, not a problem with their body. Um, So important. I, I, I probably, and you know, the hard thing is because of diet culture, if I'd heard that as a teenager, I would have been like, it probably would have helped, but I also would have been like, no, no, like I want to be the tiny little skinny child that I always was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And I mean, that just speaks to, yeah, this fat phobic culture that we live in. And that was definitely my experience of just, you know, feeling like out of control and feeling like my body was changing. And so I started dieting and around that time too, I had played sports most of my life and had stopped playing basketball. And so I started um, working out at a gym and befriended a trainer who you know, did not give the best nutrition advice. And that kind of took me down more of the the disordered eating road. And, um, you know, and then it was like applying to college. It's like, oh, wait, I can do this as a career and help other people. And so, you know, my, my foray into the nutrition field was from a a disordered place. And that was, you know, then of course I'm in college and my early twenties and at that time, and unfortunately still today, even most nutrition programs are very weight focused and weight centric and, uh, the weight inclusive approach and the, you know, health at every size approach are not taught on a regular basis. Um, and so I was trained in that and then went out into the world. And I think this definitely helped me is that I did not immediately get a job doing like counseling. I actually got a job in a hospital and I was working Mm. mostly in the intensive care units. So, Um, I think that really helped me because this was somewhere where, I mean, when someone's critically ill, the focus is like getting enough nutrition into them and you don't want people to lose weight. And that was, you know, my early to mid twenties. And I worked there for, for six years. And at that time, I actually also happened to, you know, became friends with a lot of my coworkers and despite us all being dietitians, and I now know how rare this is, um, most of them had a pretty good relationship with food and no one was really restricting. We were also, you know, new to New York city and in our twenties and just like going out and going to restaurants. And, you know, I just found a more kind of joyful relationship with food. You know, it did not happen overnight. This took many years. This was kind of like throughout my twenties. And so I'd come, you know, on my own to a place, which I now know was intuitive eating. I did not know that at the time. Oh, interesting. Was it, now how deliberate was it? Was it sort of like you just sort of fell into it because of these friends and you were enjoying life or was it like a deliberate healing process for you? It was not deliberate at all. It was not deliberate at all. So my best friend, I had a conversation with her on the podcast recently and we talked about our disordered eating in high school together. Um, she had a similar experience where she healed her relationship with food almost accidentally, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is pretty rare actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's rare. I also, you know, totally acknowledge my, my thin privilege in this mm-hmm. and how, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. my body image issues were my own thing. Like I, even when I was having, you know, a lot of issues with my own body image, I would go out into the world and no one would treat me any differently right. because I was thin, I was white, yes. you know, young, kind of fit the conventional attractive mold and that's kind of held up in our society. So I was having a lot of internal struggle, but externally that wasn't affecting me. And so Mm -hmm. I definitely think that that allowed it to happen more quote unquote easily. Um, I mean, this was probably like a 
eight plus year, year process. And, um, of just kind of over time, I also, I think getting into like meditation and mindfulness also really just helped me be more in my body and more kind of aware of the hunger levels, even though like, I wasn't specifically like, okay, I got to focus on my hunger. I just became more aware of these interoceptive cues. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was around that time. So at that point I had left the hospital, I'd started my own business and was still doing, you know, I was doing weight loss counseling, but I was doing it from this place of like mindful eating and, you know, tuning into your body. So I was kind of doing that like fence, fence sitting. Right. (laughs) Right. And super common. I I think that that's like, I think that's a place where a lot of people land when they're like Mm -hmm. afraid to let go and not just, Mm -hmm. you know, not just dietitians, but anyone who's like, okay, well, I want to heal my relationship with food, but I want to cling to like all of these diet culture things. I just think it's like without, without really understanding what's going on, I think it's a really kind of natural progression almost to cling to it a little. Totally. Totally. So that, that was the place I was in. And then I actually stumbled upon, I was looking to do some more like counseling skills training. And I was like, oh, I want to look into more like mindfulness stuff. And I stumbled upon Evelyn Triboli's intuitive eating uh, six week training series. And I was like, oh, intuitive eating. I think that's, you know, the same thing as mindful eating. I I had not read the book. Like I knew nothing about it. And I signed up and, um, Needless to say, day one of that, I was like, oh my God, it was just, you know, Evelyn goes into that first day, all like the weight science and all the like haze research. And, you know, on one hand, it was like, just totally blowing my mind. Cause I was like, I've been a dietitian at this point for what, like eight or nine years. And I've never heard any of this, but at the same time, it also made so much sense, like intellectually and just thinking about like my own food behaviors at that point made so much sense. What was happening with my clients where, you know, they would lose weight, but then they'd come back months later and be like, oh, it's back. I need to work right. with you again. This like the yo-yo that we know, you know, is not their fault. And it's, you know, biologically, this is what happens. So it just all kind of came together. And I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Um, and that really is what kind of pulled me more than off that fence and, you know, fully into the, the weight inclusive space. That's awesome. And how long ago was that? Oh, that was only about four to five years ago, I think at this point. Yeah. Amazing. That's so great. So let's talk about your book, Mm. Unapologetic Eating. So on, I was, you know, I read it, but I was doing a, a more reading on it. And um, on the website, it says dieting disconnects us from our body's wisdom and holds us back from living life to the fullest. The more time we spend trying to fix ourselves in quotes, the less time we have for things that really matter. And that is so important. I love that you, that in the book, you take it beyond just food and beyond just our relationship with food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was really important to me because so I, you know, I do this training in intuitive eating and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do now with clients. I'm going to help them with their relationship to food and very quickly realized that food is just the tip of the iceberg. And like Mm -hmm. food is a symptom, like food's not actually the problem. And, you know, the problem is all these like societal forces and these systems of oppression. And also in realizing that as we started to work on their relationship to food and getting more connected to their body, that just so many other things in their life opened up and they just were able to 
you know, just connect more to themselves, like know more about what they wanted out of life, you know, who they were. And we're just able to, to really, you know, whether it was everything from like setting boundaries or saying no, or, you know, connecting more authentically to, to themselves and other people. And so it just, that's really what I wanted to get across with this book is that yes, it's the healing, the relationship to food, but really food is this beautiful entry point into just opening up your life and just getting to know yourself so much better. And it's so true. I mean, I experienced that myself. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and you know, it makes total sense in the fact that our relationship with food really is like a microcosm of what's going on in so many other ways. And it's like, it really is like a distrust, a distrust in ourselves and in our bodies. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that bleeds into everything else. And then if we can feel that trust, then we start to, then I almost felt like, okay, so maybe I can trust myself in so many other ways and unlearn so many other things. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the more we learn, it it can start. I think the work that, that I do with my clients and I know the work that you do, like it starts with this trusting ourselves around food again, but then the more that we trust ourselves around food, we're not feeling out of control. We're also not leaning on dieting to try to get this false sense of control. You know, we're not listening to these external people or really listening to ourselves and trusting ourselves with food and trusting our body. Then we end up just trusting ourselves more in all these other areas of our life as well. And I think that's where this idea of like becoming liberated with food and becoming all unapologetic in how you eat also then translates into body liberation and being unapologetic with just the way that you live your life. Yeah. Do you have some examples of how that's, that's been true for you or other people that you've worked with? Sure. Sure. You know, I think for, well, the first thing that comes to mind, I think I I included this story in the book. Um, A woman said to me, at this point, she was several years on kind of her journey. She had started with intuitive eating and now she's several years in. And she said to me, you know, at first I'm paraphrasing here, but like she said something along the lines of at first, you know, this journey and like intuitive eating, it was all about like rewriting my relationship with food and like to my body. She's like, and then it became like how I was spending my time. And I started being like, do I want to do these things? Yes. And what do I enjoy doing? Oh yes. You know? And then she's like, I realized I'm actually more of an introvert and just allowed herself to stay home rather than being like, oh, you should like listening to those shoulds. Oh, you should go out. You should do this. And then she said to me, you know, now I'm at the point several years in where I'm just, I started, started with like questioning my beliefs around food and bodies. And now I'm at the point where I'm questioning all of these things that I've been told throughout my life that I quote should want, but it's like, do I even want these? Like, do I want a long-term partnership? Do I want kids? She's like, all these things I have no thought I had no choice. And I'm now realizing that I do, and maybe I do want those things, but now just realizing that I get a choice. Oh my God. I have chills. Cause I resonate mm-hmm. with that so much. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that's what it did for me too. It like, it opened up this, you know, what are the things that we've learned? What are the things that our culture has told us that we must do and, mm-hmm. and that we can't trust? And if it's not true for food and health and weight, then what else isn't it true about, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Exactly. And that was, that was something that I really wanted to have as kind of a theme in the book. And I wanted people to take away is just this ability to question and just this, 
knowledge of, okay, everything that I think I know about food, about bodies, about weight, about health, but also about, you know, how I should act or what I should do, um, or what's, you know, quote, socially acceptable. Like all of those are things that we've been taught and none of it is, are these like inherent truths. Right. Um, and just, yeah, questioning for yourself and getting more connected to yourself and figuring out, you know, do you want that or no? You know, I know for me, um, something that I noticed throughout this process and really just in the last few years is, um, you know, I was always considered myself a perfectionist and, you know, very type A and now considered myself like a recovering, recovering perfectionist, but so much for, of my journey in the last few years, um, you know, the food piece has been, I've, you know, worked on that years ago, but certainly with like body and with appearance Mm -hmm. and just with this need to be like, doing these things, you know, as a business owner, as like a woman in my thirties, and I'm supposed to do a lot for me has just been allowing myself to just be like, not like constantly iterating or not trying to improve or not trying to perfect, um, you know, everything from, you know, I considered getting Botox a couple of years ago, like when I started getting wrinkles, which, you know, people get Botox, that's totally fine. But it was right when I was starting to do all this questioning and I was like, okay, let me just try to sit with this a little bit. And like, I like could not stand the wrinkles around my eyes, but I was like, let me just try to sit with it. And now I'm at the point a couple of years later, like every so often, yes, in a photo, I'm like, oh yeah, my wrinkles are multiplying. But for the most part, I'm just like, well, that's my face. And I've been able, it took a while, but I've been able to get to the point where I'm not immediately that's not where my eye goes to, or I'm not having this negative connotation, um, with that, you know, I'm also at the moment letting my gray hairs grow out and just being like, okay, let's, this is a little uncomfortable, but let's sit with this. And, and yeah, just appearance, but you know, letting myself on a weekend, just, nope, I'm going to lie on the couch. I'm not going to, no shoulds of, oh, I should go for a walk or it's nice outside. I should like, nope, I just want to lie on the couch today. And just like letting myself be has been so freeing. Yes. Oh my gosh. I cannot, I, like, I resonate with this so much. And I, that's been a big piece of my last, like, I would say three or four years. It was like my rest. I was so burnt out and I was so exhausted by all the other expectations that I had of myself be- beyond just food and weight that I had like healed that part, but like, where else am I doing it to myself? And <clears throat> it was amazing. And, you know, I kind of went on an extreme period of rest, just like I did with the fuck it diet and sort of like let that be a healing period. And it was, but, you know, I think it's important to say, and you, you were just saying this, that like the thoughts still pop up the, mm-hmm. the stress of like, Oh, maybe I really should be doing something else or more, or maybe I shouldn't be, you know, saying no to that opportunity, even though I really don't want to do it. Like, you know, I, I feel like I almost, it was almost easier for the, the my, deliberate two years of rest, honestly, where I was like, no, I'm resting now. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, am I allowed to keep, yeah. <laughs> allowed to keep resting? Like, I know that I am, but you know, those, those cultural beliefs and like that, that, that kind of this stress that we put on ourselves and that we soak in, it is, it is something that I feel like we always have to continue to navigate, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, and I just think this speaks to you. I've been loving um, the NAP ministry. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, yes. with, with yes, them, I but it's them. a black, black woman, I believe who runs it and talking about rest as political resistance and specifically in this capitalist society that we live in where, 
you know, for capitalism to run, it needs people working. And so, so many of these shoulds that we have of like, you know, oh, I'm so lazy or I need to like be doing something like this, this again, like this is not something that we've inherently put on ourselves. Like this is something that comes to us from our culture. And I think for me learning that and like, um, uh, just like zooming out and looking at that bigger picture allows me to be like, okay, I am actively like resisting this when I choose to rest. And that helps, helps as well. Yes. Completely reminding ourselves that this is something that we're actually doing for our souls and for our happiness. And it's not because there's something wrong with us. It's because we're actually maybe potentially and possibly more in tune than we were before. Yes. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Exactly. I just had a conversation with uh, a personal trainer, Instagram friend of mine. And she said, she's like, I love when clients cancel and say they're too tired. She's like, I'm like, yes, good for you listening to your body. And that's what, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of personal trainer you need to get. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I do. This is what I'm like, I now like feel really proud and I'm like, Oh, nope. I need to just do nothing today. And I'm like, yes, I'm like, this is just like, this is what my body's communicating. This is what I need to do. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you also write about control and how Mm. dieting and trying to quote unquote control, because how much control do we really have, but we try control ourselves around food or trying to control our bodies will cause a disconnection and not only a disconnection from ourselves and from our own bodies and our own intuition, but from other people. And I just don't think that people realize how much dieting can affect their relationships and their general experience of life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, certainly the, you know, trying to kind of live up to what society deems quote acceptable and trying to listen to these shoulds around food, you know, that definitely causes a disconnection from ourself uh, because it's really impossible to to know and to honor what our body needs when we're caught up trying to like follow these external things. Right. But I think, you know, yeah, something I've realized, you know, personally, but certainly through working with my clients is um, just, I remember, I actually remember the first person, she was the first person I worked with after I made this transition to doing the weight inclusive work. Mm-hmm. And I remember a couple months in something she said, she was like, my relationship with my partner is so much better now. She's Mm. like, it used to be on the weekends, like he'd make me breakfast and then I'd be like all upset and angry at him because it didn't fit in with like the diet I was doing. And she's like, now I can just, you know, he makes me food. I'm like, thank you. And she's like, we're like being together. She's like, I'm not up in my head worrying about food. You know, she's like, I can be with him and like be intimate with him and not be worrying about like what my body looks like as much and just- you know, when we're all up in our heads, like whether that's thinking about food or obsessing about food or what we look like or what we've eaten um, or following kind of these arbitrary societal guidelines, when we're all up in our, our head, it really does not allow us to be in our bodies and it doesn't allow us to be fully ourselves with other people. And when we can't, you know, this is Brene Brown's whole thing with vulnerability of like, you have to, in order to like fully connect with someone, you both have to be vulnerable. And that's mm-hmm. really difficult to do when, you know, we're so concerned with trying to, to shrink ourselves or trying to make ourselves smaller. Um, and I think for me, this really 
really solidified only a couple of years ago. And so at that point, like, you know, food was not an issue anymore. Like I had a good relationship with my body, but, but I was actually on this retreat um, in Mexico that a friend of mine runs and I had been feeling like this, like, okay, something kind of feels like it's missing in my life. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And during this retreat, um, at the beginning of the week, I realized that what was missing was connection to other people and like real connection, like deep, meaningful connection. And then I realized that the reason that was missing and the reason that I was having such a hard time with that was because everything I said or did was put through a filter in my head before I said or did it Um, subconsciously. And this had been going on for, you know, who knows how many years. And I had this realization during this week of just like, oh my gosh, every time before I'm about to say something or doing something, I'm putting it through this filter of what are other people going to think? Right, 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 right. And like, that was, and so I had this wall up, not intentionally. I, like I said, it wasn't until this retreat that I even realized that this was happening, but me having, putting it through this filter and filtering my, myself and not letting myself be fully seen by others. That's that vulnerability aspect was meaning that I wasn't able to fully connect with other people. And like, that's what I realized was, was missing for me. Mm, That is so, so powerful. Wow. And that is that sort of how you, because you talk about getting out of your head and getting into your body, which is something that I also talk a lot about in my book too, Mm -hmm. but I don't actually talk about it that much on this podcast. So I'm glad that we're talking about it now. Is that what you kind of mean when you talk about getting back into your body or is that another step of the process in your in your kind of experience? Yeah. Great question. Well, first I will say, you know, if people are listening are like, get into your body, like what the fuck does she right. even mean? Right, right, I right. mean, that was my, that has always been like my response to like whenever, you know, yogis or like just people would be like, okay, we're going to like get into your body more. I'd be like, WTF, like, right. aren't I, aren't I in my body already? <laughs> inherently. And inherently like, right. Like what? And like, technically yes, but in so many ways, no. And like, like I just described, I wasn't, I was like living most of my life up in my head and it's I was like letting your full awareness is in your head and not your body. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yes. So yes. like my head was making all the decisions without any like consultation really from my body. Um, and I think this is like this intellectualizing or this like thinking things through rather than feeling things through. And now this is, it's super common and it's super common. Usually this, this disconnection, um, you know, this can occur because, you know, many people kind of dissociate a little bit from their bodies Mm -hmm. just because at some point in their life they had to. Um, and it can be, we live in a world that makes it super, super challenging to stay present, like in our body. Um, but I found for me, you know, once I felt, and that was really, I think what was so powerful about this retreat I was at was that this was the first time that I felt safe enough to be in my body and to Mm. like open up with others. And that's really, you know, we talk about, I have a whole chapter in the book about embodiment and embodiment really is this being present in your body and like feeling your body sensations, even when, or like, especially when you're doing other things. So some of us might be embodied when we're like in a yoga class or when we're meditating, but then like the rest of the day, we're not. And so, you know, I mean, for people listening, like if you're like right now, 
you know, can you feel your feet on the floor? You know, do you notice the sensation of your butt making contact with the chair? Are you able to feel your chest like rise and fall as you breathe? Like just these being aware of these sensations, this is kind of that, like coming back into your body. And, and it's so important because our bodies communicate so much wisdom and information to us. And, you know, if we're spending most of our time in our head and like thinking things through without like fully listening to what our body is communicating to us, um, then, you know, it really does, it can cause that disconnection and it can cause us to, to sort of be going around it like I was in my head all the time and not really in my body most of the time. Right. And some of the other things that I think are really interesting about this is first of all, obviously our hunger and fullness is mostly in our bodies. So we Mm -hmm. need to be in our bodies to like truly feel that, but also our intuition is in our bodies. Our intuition is not in our head. Yes. You know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's like what that gut feeling is. If we're never dropping down there to see what it really feels like, mm -hmm. we're we're going to miss all of that information. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's why I feel like this practice of, you know, whether it's intuitive eating or just getting more connected to your, to your body's hunger signals, um, because the more you're connected to those types of things and your intuition around food grows, you're also, you know, it's the same intuition um, yes. for other things. Too. Yes. Yes. That was a huge thing that I noticed. That was like a light bulb moment for me where I was like, oh, wait, what are cravings? Like what is hunger and what are cravings, but just super clear intuition? Yes. Yes. You know? yeah. where I, I demonized it my entire life. And then I was like, oh, wait, maybe this is just like the clearest form that I have right now of my body speaking to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Exactly. Cause that's, that is what that is, right? Those like interceptive cues and that just like felt sense in your body, like your body is communicating to you like, Hey, we need something. Right. Um, Yeah, totally. And then the other thing about this is, um, this is something that I talk about in my book too, that I know you you're addressing in your book too. And I just love that you do. Cause I think it's so, so, so important and such a piece of the puzzle. Um, but you know, emotions also happen in our bodies and Mm -hmm. that's like a, for better or for worse thing, because a lot of us are super resistant to our emotions. And that's sometimes one of the reasons why we don't want to be in our bodies is because we're Mm -hmm. like, well, I don't want to feel what's down there and waiting Mm -hmm. for me. And there's this belief that sort of just like hunger, that if we give in to our emotions or we give in to our hunger, that it's just going to take over and run the show. And we're always going to be hungry and we're always going to be crying and life is going to be a mess, you know? Um, And I think I just want to say to anyone who's worried about that, that that is what most people are worried about. And Mm -hmm. it's not the case. And that is coming again from like this lack of trust in our bodies. Exactly. Exactly. Lack of trust in like the way that it works, but really, you know, emotions, if we're going to talk about emotions, we're, you know, they are meant to be felt and that's when they pass. And that's when they don't have power, just like hunger, hunger is meant mm-hmm. to be fed and that's when it passes. And that's when it doesn't have, you know, yes. that like extreme kind of like toxic power over you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. Yeah. I think it's this, when you start feeling into your body, like you said, and you start trying to feel kind of the hunger, usually all these other things that a lot of times people have been kind of like numbing or stuffing down or not wanting to deal with come up. And 
that's certainly why, you know, I have a whole section, I think like, as you do too, of self-care and coping skills, because that is so important. Um, but yes, just knowing that our feelings are not permanent. Like all feelings are impermanent and they can feel really overwhelming in the moment. And certainly, yes, there are times where we do need to distract ourselves from them. Right. Um, but it really is in that feeling them, sitting with them, like sitting in the suck body image with Bria on Instagram says this all the time. And now I've taken this from her and <laughs> cite her all the time, like sitting in the suck with those feelings and feeling them. And then they, then you can move through them and they release. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's like a literacy that we don't have. We don't right. learn that we can trust our, our hunger and we don't learn that we can trust and feel our emotions. Yeah. Oh, what are we learning? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're learning disconnection. Is what we're <laughs> oh, this was so great. Okay. So can you tell us, um, can you tell us where to find you on the internet, but also where to find your book? Sure. So you can find me. My website is alyssarumsey.com. I'm also over on Instagram at alyssarumseyrd. And then my book Unapologetic Eating is available February 9th basically everywhere books are sold. So you can get it Amazon, you can get it bookshop, IndieBound. It's also available internationally through bookdepository.com as well. Yay. And for anyone, I know this might be a hard question to answer, but is there anything else that you want people who are maybe like on the fence about buying your book? Cause obviously we want people to buy your book and read it. It's a wonderful book. Anything that you think would help um, let them know if it's right for them? Oh, that's such a good question. So I would say, you know, I really wrote this book to be something that was educational, but also practical and was something that isn't, you know, preachy or isn't, um, you know, like, oh, I have to do things this way. Like I really wanted it to be open and I wrote it in a way that, you know, very inclusively so that whoever is reading it can hopefully see themselves in it and also sit with it and, you know, just start to kind of question your own experience. And so I think if you are at this place where, you know, I did write it for people, both people who've like been on this journey and are looking for, you know, just some different like ways of thinking about it, but also for people who might be kind of on that fence, like, right, you know, right, like right. we've been in the past and just, you know, some ways to just start you know, gently exploring that in a way that feels good to you. Oh, love that. Well, I definitely think you succeeded with that. It's oh, a, thank it's you a really so much. great, really great book. Thank Yay. You. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Yeah. This was really fun chatting with you. I really appreciate you having me on. This is great. So as usual, you can find links to everything we've talked about in this episode. FODMAP Freedom in 90 Days, links to Alyssa's book on apologetic eating, links to find Alyssa online in the show notes of this episode. Whew. Okay. That's it for now, I think. And I will be back in two weeks and I will talk to you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>